0: Pick up with me. We're going to start, just for the sake of of time, we're going to start at verse 7. So Exodus 18, verse 7. Just to bring you up to speed, uh, Jethro, who is uh, Moses' father-in-law, we're told in verse 1, had heard all that God had done for Moses and for Israel, his people, and how the Lord had brought Israel out of Egypt. He is, sends word to Moses that he's coming to meet with him. And so we pick up at Exodus 18:7 and read this. Then Moses went out to meet his father-in-law, and he bowed down and kissed him. And they asked each other of their welfare and went into the tent. Moses told his father-in-law all that the Lord had done to Pharaoh and to the Egyptians for Israel's sake, all the hardship that had befallen them on the journey and how the Lord had delivered them. Jethro rejoiced over all the goodness which the Lord had done to Israel in delivering them from the hand of the Egyptians. So Jethro said, blessed be Yahweh, or blessed be the Lord who delivered you from the hand of the Egyptians and from the hand of Pharaoh and who delivered the people from under the hand of the Egyptians. Now I know that the Lord is greater than all the gods. Indeed, it was proven when they dealt proudly against the people. Then Jethro, Moses' father-in-law, took a burnt offering and sacrifices for God, and Aaron came with all the elders of Israel to eat a meal with Moses' father-in-law before God. It came about the next day that Moses sat to judge the people, and the people stood about Moses from morning until the evening. Now, when Moses' father-in-law saw all that he was doing for the people, he said, What is this thing that you are doing for the people? Why do you alone sit as judge and all the people stand about you from morning until evening? Moses said to his father-in-law, Because the people come to me to inquire of God. When they have a dispute, it comes to me and I judge between a man and his neighbor and make known the statutes of God and his laws. Moses' father-in-law said to him, The thing that you are doing is not good. You will surely wear out both yourself and these people who are with you, for the task is too heavy for you. You cannot do it alone. Now listen to me. I will give you counsel and God be with you. You be the people's representative before God, and you bring the disputes to God. Then teach them the statutes and the laws and make known to them the way in which they are to walk and the work they are to do. Furthermore, You will select out of all the people able men who fear God, men of truth, those who hate dishonest gain. And you shall place these over them as leaders of thousands, of hundreds, of fifties, and of tens. Let them judge the people at all times, and let it be that every major dispute they will bring to you, but every minor dispute they themselves will judge. So it will be easier for you, and they will bear the burden with you. If you do this thing... And God so commands you, then you will be able to endure and all these people also will go to their place in peace. So Moses listened to his father-in-law and did all that he had said. Moses chose able men out of all Israel and made them heads over the people, leaders of thousands, of hundreds, of fifties, and of tens. They judged the people at all times. The difficult dispute they would bring to Moses, but every minor dispute they themselves would judge. Then Moses bade his father-in-law farewell, and he went his way into his own land. This is the word of the Lord for us this morning. Let's pray. To the only all-good and all-wise God, we give you all honor and praise. We ask, Father, that this time in your word, would be made effective in our hearts and minds not just individually but as a congregation of your people who have been called out by the work and the voice of your son Jesus Christ we pray that your spirit would be very active in our midst to bring instruction to bring correction to bring encouragement and comfort would you as you always do do all things well for us This morning, in Jesus' name we ask this, amen. So, Exodus 18, two main events here, or two main scenes that primarily are rooted in the interaction that Moses has with his father-in-law, Jethro. Just overall, if we were to try to sum up what we see in Exodus uh, 18 in, uh, in a broad, general sort of way, I would say something like that what we're seeing in this passage is that God is good in our salvation, And he is wise when he gives us leaders for our long-term health. Those two elements, God's goodness and his wisdom, essentially fall out, as it were, in this passage along the two scenes or the two episodes of the passage. So the two things that we're going to take note of is number one that we recount, or we retell, or we remember, whatever sort of word you want to use there, we remember God's redemptive work for His praise and for our joy. And number two, we receive God's designated leaders as His provision for our spiritual health. So number one, we recount God's redemptive work for His praise in our joy. Notice that, uh, that the, the scene that we have here gets started in 181 because we're told that Jethro has heard what God has done with Moses and the people in delivering them and saving them from their slavery in Egypt, setting them free, bringing them out, and as they are on their way to their new home to enjoy life with God as His covenant people. Jethro has an opportunity now to meet up with Moses and to check in and see how things are going. When Moses and Jethro go into the tent, Moses begins to give an account of everything that happened in the Exodus drama. So, skip down with me to verse 8. Moses told his father-in-law all that the Lord had done to Pharaoh and to the Egyptians for Israel's sake. And all the hardship that had befallen them on the journey and how the Lord had delivered them. So from the beginning, the actual act of salvation and deliverance up to the present time as they are sitting, sitting in the tent speaking together, Moses has given an account, has given an account of all of that, all of God's work. Notice that as Jethro hears the account that Moses gives, he is compelled or drawn in to praise and to worship God. Look at the way that we see this in, say, three of these verses. Verse 9. The very first thing that we're told after Jethro hears this. Verse 9. Jethro rejoiced. Verse 10, Jethro said, Blessed be Yahweh who delivered you. That's probably not a prayer that he's making there, but a statement of praise and adoration or acknowledgement for what God has done. And then, of course, verse 12, Jethro, Moses' father-in-law, took a burnt offering and sacrifices for God, and Aaron came with all the elders of Israel to eat a meal with Moses' father-in-law before God. Jethro offers up a sacrifice and an offering to Israel's God as a result of hearing what God has done for his people. And we're told that one of the ways that this sacrifice and offering are enjoyed is that it's enjoyed with the communion of the leaders of Israel sitting and eating, however we conceive of this, in the presence of God. Jethro starts by rejoicing and praising God and ends up seated with God's people in God's presence all because Moses simply reports what God had done in his salvation. Let me press in a little bit further on that. Moses reports essentially two Elements of God's work for Israel One, the redemption The the deliverance from Egypt proper The actual salvation event And also He talks about how in all of the hardships That the people had encountered That the Lord continued to deliver them He saved them dramatically From their slavery From their captors And in that act of salvation, he continues to show himself faithful to save them from any and all challenges that they encounter along the way. Most immediately, he must be referring to the three tests that we've already looked at the last three weeks. Having no water to drink. Running low on food and the Lord miraculously providing manna. Running low on water again, so that the Lord brings water from a rock. All of those things, Moses says, were genuine hardships. And the Lord delivered us from them all. And then notice what Jethro says. Now, we're going to miss this a little bit, depending on your English translation. But the phrasing that Moses uses in verse 8, when he says or when we're told that Moses told his father-in-law all that the Lord had done, that phrase shows up exactly the same with one change in verse 9. Jethro rejoiced over all the goodness that the Lord had done. Do you see that? Moses says, tells Jethro all that the Lord had done, and Jethro, in response, comments on all the goodness that the Lord had done. Do you ever stop to think that one of the ways to celebrate God's salvation and God's faithfulness to you is to categorize it in these terms. To say that from start to finish, from the moment that God brought me out and saved me and delivered me, Through all of the hardships of life in which he has been faithful, I stand here to this day and I say he has been nothing but good. He has been good to me. For some of you this morning, that may be an easier statement to make than for others. If you're enjoying what seems to be uninterrupted blessing and ease and comfort, you have your health. The kids are well behaved. You and your wife are looking lovingly and longingly into one another's eyes every day. Oh, the Lord has been good to me. Yes, He has. We say that with a little bit of a smile and tongue-in-cheek, but, but he has. That is God's goodness. Some of you may find this proposition a little harder to say because, like Israel, on the way home, you are encountering your own times of trial and testing. You may actually be in the middle of a trial or a significant test right now, And you don't know how it is that the Lord is going to bring you through. You don't know what the answer or what the solution is going to be. And it becomes far more difficult and far more challenging for you to say that the Lord is good because the situation that you're in is not good. If that's you, let me try to encourage you along this line. When Moses gets to the end of his life, when he's about to leave the scene and transition out of his role as leader of Israel and hand it over to Joshua, he's reviewing in Deuteronomy the early history of Israel with the people. And in Deuteronomy chapter 8, verse 16, you don't need to turn there, I'll read it for you. He makes this amazing statement. Moses says... In the wilderness, he fed you manna which your fathers did not know. Remember, here in chapter 18, Moses is referring to their need for manna as a hardship. Those were hard times. They didn't know how God was going to provide. They crumbled in their faith, and if it weren't for God's faithfulness, They would be as good as dead. Moses, though, looking back on it, says, After 40 years, in the wilderness he fed you manna which your fathers did not know, that he might humble you and that he might test you, listen, to do good to you in the end. I do not know how to give comfort or how to give encouragement to some of you this morning because of the tests and the trials that you face right now to do so would seem to be a little bordering on the arrogant side. But I can say this, because this is what God himself has given us in his word, that even when you find yourself in a significant test or trial, God always remains good. And in the end, you will see with your own eyes, that all that he has brought to you, every path on which he has led you, every way that you have traveled, he has done this to do good to you in the end. Do you consider that one of the ways to praise the Lord for his salvation and his faithfulness in your life is to simply make a profound statement that God is good. Let's take it a step further. Are you able to retell or, rec- or recount God's work in your life to another person such that their response to what they hear is, God is good. Or do you tend to fall more often than not into the mindset, into the habit, into the framing that Israel struggled with? Where it's all bitterness and complaint. You lose sight of the fact that God is the one who's leading. You lose sight of the fact that the one who delivered you and saved you has promised that he will lead you safely home. Have you ever thought about the fact that one of the ways that God is made to look attractive to other people, your brothers and sisters, yes, but even people who are outside of the faith, one of the ways that God looks attractive is for you to be able to tell them in concrete, substantive terms, what God has done for you in Christ and to do so in such a way that they cannot get away from the conclusion that God is good. Kids, if there are kids still in here, some of them probably went running out for Praiseville but if you're like younger than middle school one of the things that you can do to grow in your faith if your heart's desire is to follow Jesus is to daily daily just think about how good God is. To look for ways, look for evidence in your life, kids, where you see the truth that God has been good to you. Teenagers, young adults, some of you may be in the early stages of the Christian life. You may still be trying to figure all of this out. Or even some of you adults, you may have entered into faith merely looking for fire insurance in the judgment that's to come in the end. Okay, fine, good. Flee the wrath to come. But in your walk with the Lord, are you growing in God's grace and in the knowledge of Jesus Christ so that more and more your heart and mind is being captured and overwhelmed by the sheer goodness of God to an undeserving person. Are you able to look in Ephesians and say, I was dead in my trespasses and sins, And God made me alive. He's good. I was a slave to sin. I was subject to the rulers and the powers and the principalities of this age. And he made me free, and raised me up above those things that once held me down. He is good. Sin ruled over me. I was a slave and a captive to sin, and yet now I am seated with Christ. In the heavenly places, sharing a real measure of his rule and authority so that I now have power to live in victory over sin. God is good. Let me also suggest, at the risk of beating a dead horse, let me also suggest... We talked last week about the fact that from the experience that Israel has in the wilderness, that in Psalm 95, and again in Hebrews chapter 3, as the Scripture writers are looking back on that event, the plea is, today if you hear His voice, do not harden your hearts, as they did at Massah and Meribah. In Hebrews chapter 3, that psalm is picked up as a warning to us now and the author then builds on psalm 95 today if you hear his voice don't harden your heart and says that a remedy to that in trying to guard our hearts to make sure that we do not have an evil and unbelieving heart in falling away from the living god is to encourage one another day after day Let me suggest to you that one of the ways that you can find great encouragement from your brothers and sisters and one of the ways that you can offer great encouragement to your brothers and sisters is to do exactly what Moses did here with Jethro, which is to do nothing more complicated than to say, this is how God saved me and this is how he continues to deliver me to this day. What you ought to do this week, you ought to call someone, or text someone, or email someone, and you ought to meet up for lunch, or you ought to grab some coffee, or you ought to meet with the kids at the park, let the kids go off and play. They're going to be too much of a distraction. You let the kids go off and play, and you sit with another Edgewood member, and you just ask them, how did you come to know the Lord? How did the Lord save you? How would you describe your walk with the Lord up to this point? I dare you to do it and to walk away and say that you are not encouraged. If you do that and you find no encouragement in that, come talk to me. We have bigger issues that we need to address. So Moses recounts God's redemptive work And in response, Jethro replies that God has been good to his people, which is what God's people have been able to say forever as they experience his salvation and his faithfulness. God has been nothing but good to us. Number two, it is interesting, however, that after stressing the goodness of God to his people, that we come down a little bit further and Jethro finds something that is not good. It sounds eerily similar to what we read about in, in Genesis 2 where God looks on all that he had made and behold it was good but then he looks and he sees Adam left alone to do the work on his own and he says, that's not good. Here Jethro says God has been good to Israel and then he turns on the next day and he sees Moses out doing this unique work all on his own and Jethro says, oh, but wait a minute, but that's not good. And Jethro makes an appeal to Moses to say, for these reasons and in this way, you ought to consider that your current course is neither good for you nor is it good for your people. Something needs to change here. And we get an account here of how Moses and the people then set about in trying to set up a leadership structure that is going to serve God's people well, not just in the time of their wilderness wandering, but for days to come. Let me make three observations on what goes on here as Moses receives this counsel from Jethro, as he recognizes it as being God's wisdom, and as they implement it. Three things that we can take note of. Number one, we want to say that what is being stressed here is the importance of shared leadership. That Moses is not intended to do this on his own. Just as an aside, as a shameless plug for our evening service tonight, if you come back tonight, what we will talk about is the reasons why Moses is not an example of a lead pastor with all of his little pastor minions serving and working with him. Moses is not a lead pastor with a staff of other lesser pastors. We'll talk about that tonight, but we don't have time for it right now. Nevertheless, Moses cannot do this on his own. This leadership, this unique work, is something that has to be shared and delegated to other men. But notice in verse 18... The reason that this leadership responsibility is to be shared, Jethro says in verse 18, is because if you don't make this adjustment, if you don't work with other men, verse 18, you will surely wear out both yourself and these people who are with you. Skip down a little bit further to verse 23. If you do this thing, and God so commands you, then you will be able to endure. And all these people also will go to their place in peace. Shared leadership is not just for Moses' benefit to prevent him from getting burned out. Shared leadership in this passage is not just for Moses' benefit, it's for the benefit of the people. The people, Israel, will be better served if there is not one man that they are looking to, but many men that they are looking to. To the extent that God has been good and kind to give us shared leadership, here at Edgewood, that in and of itself is a sign of God's goodness to us. Because no one man, if Moses was incapable of doing this job solo, there is no other person who is going to have better skills and better qualifications than Moses. God raising up multiple leaders for his people is a way that he shows his good care for his children. Number two, not only is shared leadership for the benefit of the people, but there is with that, obviously, the idea that in shared leadership there's going to be a division of the labor. Notice in verse 21 that the statement is made, you will select out of all the people able men who fear God, men of truth, those who hate dishonest gain, and you will place these over them as leaders of thousands, of hundreds, of fifties, and even of tens. In other words, multiple leaders, but not every leader is going to have the exact same assignment or responsibility that's given to them there will be a diverse way in which this diverse group will exercise the responsibility of leading and guiding and directing the people. So, in our instance, or in our case, for example, we will have men who are serving as pastor elders who are on staff. They give a full-time effort to their work of shepherding here at the church. We also have pastor elders who are not on staff here at the church, in the sense that they are not salaried by the church, lay elders who carry just as much significance and authority in weighing in on matters but their responsibility and their part of the shared labor is not exactly the same as this kind of labor that's shared by these men over here. Regardless of what the labor looks like, it's all part of the same. And then number three, and most important, the leadership that is being designed, that's being cultivated, that's being furthered here is not leadership merely for the sake of exercising authority, one person or one group over another. That is not what the motivation is. Rather, the motivation, the grounding of leadership among God's people is a grounding in God's Word. Look at what Moses says in verse 16. <clears throat> that the people come to me when they have a dispute so that I can render a decision. Notice verse, the end of verse 16. To make known the statutes of God and his laws. Jethro says later in verse 20 that as Moses continues to work that what he, is in, what he needs to be intent And committed to doing, in verse 20, is to teach them the statutes and the laws and make known to them the way in which they are to walk and the work that they are to do. So then, Moses, if that is what is most important and lies at the center of your work in shepherding God's people, as you bring on other men to help in that respect, they need to be men of truth. They need to be men who are committed to God's word. Not so that a leader can go out and set his own agenda so that they can make random decisions but so that by God's grace and with God's help they can pour themselves into the scriptures and say what has God given to his people that we need to live by? That's what we want our people to know. That's what we want them to be guided and directed by at the end of the day then as we bring on elders as God would be kind as he would be gracious to give us the ability to bring on additional men this morning we're going to be recognizing or we are recognizing Andy and JT we want to say that this pattern that we see in Exodus 18 is something that carries through all of Scripture, even into the New Testament, so that the bedrock foundation of any sort of leadership that's exercised here at Edgewood or anywhere else in God's church, the bedrock foundation of that is the Word of God. It makes no difference what the culture says. It makes no difference what our preferences say. What has the Lord said to his people, we will hear and we will do it. So, I have JT here. Where is Andy? Andy and Katie. Is Carla in here? Yes, somewhere. This is going to seem very awkward that this eminent elder does not have his wife by his side. She was serving in the nursery, though. So that's good. Go Andy, Katie, come on down. We'll put y'all on the front row right here just for a moment. This will be a good time to text her if this is the only time that we'll allow for texting in the service. Okay. Let me say then. Before we pray over these men and commit them and their ministry to the Lord, in just a moment I'll ask for any of the elders and deacons that we have with us here this morning, if they would come down, you can remain where you are for a moment. Let me give very specific words of challenge, but hopefully more so encouragement to both Andy and to JT in light of this recognition that they're receiving here today. I take it for myself and on and on behalf of the other elders Now, what's happening here is not really unusual or out of place. To the extent that elders are called to be shepherds of God's people, Andy and J.T., in their various responsibilities and duties, have already been doing the work of elders as they've shepherded, and as they've taught, and as they've led. They meet the qualifications that are given of elders in Titus and in 1 Timothy. So what we're doing here this morning with Andy and JT really is merely recognizing what we believe to be a work that God has done in building them up and equipping them to serve this body well. Having said that, let me give three challenges or words of encouragement to both Andy and JT. Number one, in the hearing of all of these other people, First thing that I would say is keep watch over your life and conduct, and especially over your family. There are many other men who have served this church before us who will, by God's grace, serve this church after us. Many men who are able to fill this role. There is only one man who can fill the role of husband and father to your wife and to your children. You are actually qualified to serve based on your faithfulness to your wife and to your family, not because of your faithfulness to this church. If you lose your family, you lose the ministry. Guard and keep watch over your life and conduct. Grow in grace, grow in sanctification. Separate yourself from the sin and the temptation of this world and trust that God is going to be good and gracious to enable you to do that by the power of his spirit. Number two, grow in the grace of God through the word of God. Jesus says, as he's praying for his disciples in John chapter 17, He asked that the the Father would sanctify them. He says, sanctify them in your truth. Your word is truth. My heart's desire and my prayer, and I trust that the heart's desire and prayer for this congregation is that you two men would find yourselves to be lifelong students of God's word because you find that God's word is the real food that you're going to be able to share with God's people for their benefit for the good of their souls and that everything else is trivial when you compare it to the wisdom of God's word so study so read so grow buy books tell your wife that you need to cut down on the grocery bill so that you can buy books let the kids go barefoot from time to time so that you can buy books books Number three, as you keep watch over your life and conduct, as you grow in the grace of God through the word of God, number three, give these people here at Edgewood an example worth following. At the end of the day, elders really are not called to live a life that is different than their other brothers and sisters in Christ. Everything that Paul says in his qualifications of pastor elders in the New Testament, everything that he says of an elder, with the exception of the ability to teach, everything else that he says about an elder is something that is put on every single Christian elsewhere. An elder is not a different class of person, they're not a spiritual elite. Rather, they are people who are given over to the ministry of God's Word and to living God's Word in a way that their lives provide a living witness and example of what it means to be rooted and grounded in God's truth. So, as much as you do in your teaching, as much as you do in your leading, in your sharing, and your talking, in your meeting give these people an example worth following. Andy and JT and Katie with Andy and Carla with JT, if y'all would come to the front and just stand in front of me, any of our deacons or elders who are in the room, if you would come down as well, Andy and Katie and JT and Carla, if y'all could push in a little bit, we're going to have these men gather around y'all. all of these men who are coming down here and some who are fulfilling other responsibilities and obligations elsewhere, all of these men are ordained officers in the church. They bear leadership responsibilities in similar and in dissimilar ways. So it's good then for us as we commit Andy and JT and their ministry to the Lord, to have these men that they'll be working very closely with to come down and pray along with them. So I'll lead us in a prayer of commitment and dedication to these men and pray for their families as well. As the deacons and as the elders, pray silently here around them. I would encourage you to do the same. Or if you're gonna sit and if you're gonna listen and just try to take it in, my strong encouragement to you would be that on your way home, or when you get home, that you pray for these men that God has given to you as a gift for your spiritual growth and maturity. Let's pray. Father, we would ask that in your grace and in your wisdom, and in your goodness, that you would enable both Andy and JT to be on guard for themselves, and for all of the flock, among which the Holy Spirit has made them overseers, that they would pastor, that they would shepherd this church of God here at Edgewood, that was purchased with God's own blood. Help them to be watchful, and to be alert, knowing that there are many threats on the outside, and at times there may even be threats to the health and the viability of this church from within. Give them the ability to discern and to see dangers that exist for the congregation here at Edgewood, and not only to be able to recognize it, but but to be able, in your wisdom and grace, to be able to address it in a good and godly way. Father, we commend them in their ministry to you and to the word of your grace because we know that you will build them up, that you will sanctify them. And Father, as you sanctify them, we pray that you would give an added or a special measure of grace to their wives as well, that they would not become embittered by the service that their husbands render to this church when it calls for late hours or interrupted family time, but that they would be an encouragement, a support, that they would be a compliment to their husbands in all that they do. We pray that together as husband and wife for Andy and Katie and for JT and Carla, that you would continue to give them the grace to walk together side by side doing the work that you have called them to do as husband and wife for your kingdom and for the spread of your gospel. We ask that you would give them wisdom in their home as they teach and instruct their children in the fear and admonition of the Lord so that their homes would be a microcosm of your grace in the household of God here at Edgewood. Father, not only do we thank you and we praise you for giving us Andy and JT as gifts to this body, but we would pray and we would ask that along these same lines of kindness and grace that you would continue to build up and raise up godly men who would serve and lead in their homes and in this church well. Do it, Father, we ask, so that you would receive glory, so that Christ would be exalted, and so that all things would be done the strength and power of your Holy Spirit at work within us. We pray these things in your name and because of Christ. Amen. Okay. Andy and JT, I'll ask you two to stand at the door. Your wives are welcome to go, but if they're anything like my wife, they would probably rather not. Y'all can go ahead and stand at the door. And because they're shared labor, right, Andy shared the labor is leading and singing. That's not my share of the labor. All right, so we're, we're not going to do that. What I will do, though, however, is conclude this service with a benediction, going back to Ephesians chapter 3. When we are dismissed, please encourage Andy and JT, don't feel like you need to run off, enjoy fellowship with one another, but we leave you on this high note. Now to him who is able to do far more abundantly than all that we ask or think, according to the power at work within us, to him be the glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations, forever and ever. Amen. You're dismissed.